I did watch the jazz get beat last night. Okay, the first scripture reading is from Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Only fools despise wisdom and discipline. The second second reading is from Ezekiel, chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take away their hearts of stone and give them tender hearts instead. So they will obey my laws and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. third reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, you must be even more, be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives. Obeying God with deep reverence. And fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Hold tightly to the word of life so that when Christ returns, I will be proud that I did not lose the race and that my work was not useless. But even if my life is to be poured out like a drink, offering to complete the sacrifice of your faithful service, I will rejoice. And I want to share my joy with all of you. And you should be happy about this and rejoice with me. The word of the Lord. and 13th verse, Paul says, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. That sounds burdensome to me. Like, uh, like it's up to us to save ourselves. Is this the LDS belief that God gets you so far and then you have to go the rest of the way? Sounds like just one more thing to do. I mean, don't we have enough to work out already, let alone have to work out our salvation? Gosh, I can barely have energy to take out the trash some days, let alone be responsible for my salvation. Uh, Work it out, they say. I have this problem. They say, work it out. uh, I'm in a tough spot. They say, work it out. I mean, is my life a broken down car on the side of the road and God drives by waving and shouting, you're on your own, work it out, Phil. The last I heard, and 
in so many other places in the Bible, even in other letters that Paul writes. This whole God thing comes by grace. And uh, we're saved by what God has done for us, and we can't contribute anything to our salvation. No one sent me the memo that we had to work this out by ourselves. Well, Paul is in prison, and he is separated from uh, the church in Philippi, and part of what he is saying is that he can't be with them to guide them in faith, and they're going to have to work this relationship with Christ on their own. As much as he'd love to be there to teach them, to strengthen them, to mentor them, he, he says, I am in a Roman prison, thank you very much, so you're going to have to work it out on your own. You know, when this is written, Christianity is just a few years old. It's not even known as Christianity yet. It hardly even has a title. It's so new. There, there's no books. There's no DVDs. There's no study guides, how this works, what it is, exactly um, what to do to be a Christian. Uh, everyone is still trying to figure this, this Jesus movement, this emerging movement out. And people like Paul are invaluable in the experience that they had, and in the knowledge and in the guidance and the insight that they could provide. But this is not God uh, providing so much and then we do the rest. Because that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Um, Paul can tell them to work it out on their own because, because it is God who works in them. It is God who works in them, enabling to will and to work his good purpose and what he wants to happen in them. Paul might be wanting to give them confidence that whether he is around or not, they need to know that God is always with them. God is always working in them. Go back to the first chapter. When we began, we heard Paul write to the Philippians that the one, being God, who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion. Paul has complete confidence that even though he has no contact with them, God is working in them, and they will become what God wants them to become. Though he's cut off from them and, he, uh, and they're cut off from him, it cannot cut them off from God. God is at work in our very being. He is. The activity, the energy, the effective power of God is in us. On the one hand, there is much work for us to do. Our decisions, our actions, they matter. Matter very much. On the other hand, it is God at work within us. And without him, nothing is going to happen. There is this tension between our efforts and God's grace, our freedom and God's control and his sovereignty. Uh, there's a tension between our way and his way. I mean, is it our work or is it God's work? Eugene Peterson's translation in the message puts these verses like this. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. By the way, Paul is not speaking about 
uh, each person as an individual. Uh, it's not our personal salvation that we are to work out. The you, the your, uh, in his writing, it's plural. He is writing to a church. He is writing to a group of people, a community of faith. Working this out is something that we all do together and with one another. It's about the church being the church for the sake of the world. It's about Christ's people being Christ's people. It is about more than just me as an individual getting to heaven. This salvation is all of our life in Christ. Part of the Christian, part of the Christian life is living in tension. Um, and this working out our salvation as God works in us is a good example. We can't earn or work for our right standing with God, yet there is something for us to do. True, we come to Christ, we live in Christ by grace and grace alone. But grace does not protect us from work or from exercising our faith. In another letter that Paul writes to Christians, he says this of himself. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Grace didn't preclude Paul from working hard. Uh, but the final word is grace. God is doing a work in us. God is the energy in that process. If I'm driving a car, if I'm driving a car, I'm behind the wheel. I'm working the gas. I'm working the brake. I'm working the steering, uh, the levers, the gadgets. And if I want to go to the store, uh, just sitting in my car in the garage isn't going to get me there. I've got to turn on the ignition. I have got to put it in gear. I've got to drive that car to the store. But if I don't have an engine in the car, I'm not going anywhere. No matter how hard I push on the accelerator, no matter how many buttons I push, if there's no engine in the car, it's useless. When I drive a car, I'm behind the wheel. But without the engine, it's powerless. God is that engine in our lives and in our faith. I can do all kinds of religious things. I can do all kinds of spiritual things. But without him under my hood, if you would, it's just me. God supplies the working power for our lives. Work it out, Paul says. Now, working it out doesn't mean work for it. He doesn't say work for it. Rather, we work to explore this life with God. We give it time, attention. We, we are intentional about this relationship with God. Um, we, we nurture it. You know, we sometimes speak of working out a math problem. Now, uh, when we say that we're working out a math problem, it doesn't mean that we have to obtain the problem. The math problem is already in our possession. What we mean when we say we need to work out a math problem is that we need to unravel it. We need to work the figures and the formulas to find out what it's supposed to be. Think of marriage. When someone is married, he or she is uh, in full possession of marriage. Once they, uh, that person uh, takes those vows and, in that covenant and, and the, 
document aside, they are married. They're not any less or any more married at any other time. They don't have to earn for the marriage. They don't have to work it, work for it. They're married. It's theirs in their position. But marriage still needs to be worked out, does it not? There is a lifetime of exploration and enjoyment and challenges and pains and obstacles and growth and discovery. So when, when Paul says, work out your own salvation, we know, number one, it does not mean work for your salvation. It means to unravel it, explore it, pay attention to this life of God in Jesus Christ. And second, he means that it doesn't happen without God, who is the energy living within us, if you would, to move us toward him and what he wants us to be. It doesn't come by keeping rules. It doesn't come by a lot of religious ritual. It comes from having the person of the Holy Spirit, God, living inside of us. God spoke of this life. He spoke of this way of relationship even in the Old Testament through the words of the prophet Ezekiel when he said that he would give his people an undivided heart, a single heart, and put a new spirit in them. God said, I will remove from their heart, from them, the heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people. I will be their God. God moves inside of us. He gives us, he gives us the heart that he wants to give us. And when we have a heart for God, we live the things of God. We live the life of God. And we become the people that God wants us to become. In Ephesians, Paul even goes so far as to say that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, that all we think according, he says, to the power that is at work within us. He says, this goes a long way. You just wouldn't believe the things God will do in us. Now, the spirit, he says, with which we work out this salvation with God, who is working within us, says it's one of fear and trembling. It's one of fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it says. Yeah, that can sound a little scary. Fear and trembling, it sounds a little scary. I mean, do we cower before God? Because if, if, if we get this wrong, we're going to get zapped. Or is he saying, you know, God has his eyes on you and, and you mess this up and he's going to send the fire on you. You better fear and you better tremble about that. Well, to fear God means to have a view of God that is full of awe, wonder, and, and humility. It is to recognize the power and the majesty of God. It's to acknowledge God is the creator God is a sustainer of life. Um, it is to say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To approach our relationship with God with fear and trembling tells us this relationship is a serious matter. It's not casual. It's not just having coffee with a friend at the cafe, at the coffee shop, like some Christian voices and writers make our relationship with God to be today. It's to be reverent. It's to be sensitive before God. It's to have a proper sense of awe and responsibility. We stand in awe of God, not because of wrath or anger. We stand in awe because of the absolutely unparalleled beauty of what He can do. What a God we have. What a God we have. Fear and trembling doesn't have to be negative. You know, I, I admit, I kind of read it like that at first, but, you know, I thought about it. I said, it doesn't have to be negative. 
I've done some whitewater rafting a little bit, and I have gone through some class five rapids, some crazy rapids with fear and trembling, having a great time all the way through it. Some of you take the quadruple black diamond runs up at our resorts. A lot of fear and trembling when you're going down, but oh man, you enjoy it, don't you? It's a good thing. There's fear and trembling, but not, not in a bad way. When we're in that delivery room, new birth is happening. We might well be trembling, right? But man, it's a wonderful, it's an awe-inspiring experience. We might have plenty of fear and trembling the first time we reach for his or her hand, huh? That budding romance. We seek this, but we're trembling, but we want it. Fear and trembling keeps our work of faith within the circle of grace. Fear and trembling is what Anne Lamott calls wow. The writer Anne Lamott in her book, um, Three Essential Prayers, Help, Thanks, Wow. Help, Thanks, Wow. And she says, fear and trembling, it's wow. This is what she means by wow. She points out how in our relationship with God, uh, God keeps giving, God keeps forgiving, and he keeps inviting us back. She says she has a friend named Tom who says that the fact that God keeps forgiving and inviting us back is a scandal and that God has no common sense. God doesn't say, I have had it this time. You have taken this exam four times already and you flunked every time. This is a joke. He doesn't say that. We keep getting to start over. And lives change. Sometimes quickly, but usually slowly. And that's part of how we work out our salvation. With fear and trembling, indeed, Indeed, that, I mean, that God who is so absolute in holiness, who has no compromise in his standards of righteousness, and who will be our judge one day, scandalously allows us to keep starting over. We get to keep working it out. We get to keep working out that problem up on the board with all our mistakes, with all our slips, such as his grace, such as his love, such as his patience. Wow. And the end of all this working it out is to fulfill his good purpose. To will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in you. God is at work in me. He's at work in our church together. Bringing about his purpose and for his pleasure to happen. And he doesn't just do it when we get the right response. He doesn't just work in us when only if there's evidence of progress. Uh, God doesn't just work in us when we really desire him to work in us, because if it depends on our response, if it depends on our progress, if it depends on our desire, none of us have any hope of reaching the goal of what he wants us to become. God works in us because he wants to. It's his good pleasure. He does it out of his pleasure. It's the same as what Moses told Israel about their relationship with the Lord when he said, 
The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love. God loves us. We haven't done anything to earn that love. He loves us because... He loves us. And a response of love to God is certainly going to help work out that salvation uh, easier. We were made by God. We were made in the image of God. We were made for God. Living into that relationship and purpose is going to give us that salvation, which is to say that right relationship with Him. I mean, imagine someone... Uh, imagine a violin and someone using that violin as a sledgehammer. You would say, that person doesn't know what a violin is. They don't understand what a violin is, is made for and, and, and how it's supposed to work, right? Um, but put that violin in the hands of a true violinist or put it in the hands of the person who made that violin and um, someone who has skill for it, someone who has love for it, and that violin becomes what it was meant to be, and it becomes something beautiful. We become what we were meant to be when we are in the hands of God. He knows His purpose for us, what gives Him pleasure, and we come into our own when God takes us into His hand. And that is made possible through Jesus Christ, who comes to put us into God's hands where we eternally belong and where alone we can be what we are made to be. You know the phrase, uh, the Lord helps those who help themselves? You heard that? The Lord helps those. That is not what these verses in Philippians are about. As a matter of fact, the Lord helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible and it's not even a biblical idea or a Christian idea. The Lord helps those of us who can't help ourselves. That's the gospel. The Lord helps those who are lousy at helping ourselves. He helps all who long for His salvation, whether we do or can help ourselves. He is at work in us. And He is at work toward that His will and His good pleasure for us. And all the grace and all the peace and all the joy and all the strength and all the conviction and all the faithfulness of God are ours because He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. Life with God takes working out, but it is being worked out. It is. Sometimes it's uh, two steps forward and three back. Sometimes it's three steps backward and then four steps forward. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of seasons and situations. There's a lot of mountains and valleys to go through, but let's work it out. Uh, You feel discouraged about that? Keep working it out. God is in you. Do you feel inadequate? Keep working it out. God's in you. He's working in you. Feel like things are maybe somewhat coming together. Keep working it out. God is at work in you. Do you feel like, you know, you're actually sensing things. You're, you're understanding things. You're seeing things like you never had before. Keep working it out. 
God is at work in you? Do you feel like, oh, man, I, my faith is on fire. I am really made, motivated. Keep working it out. Because God is at work in us. I want to end uh, with a prayer. Uh, a, a prayer that was first prayed by St. Ignatius of Loyola centuries ago. Which I think it's an appropriate prayer prayer in light of this word and about how God is at work in us. So, let's stand as we close uh, this message with this prayer. Take, O Lord, and receive all my freedom. Receive all my memory my understanding, and all my will. All I have and possess, you have given it to me. To you, O Lord, I return it. All is yours. Dispose of it entirely according to your will. Give me your love and grace, because that is enough for me. Amen.
Let's say these words to one another.